Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents Bullet Catcher, Season 3, Episode 2. The Gunslinger. Max stands at the base of the waterfall north of town, close enough that his clothes are soaked from the mist, and his bones vibrate from the sound of it. He holds the sheriff's star in his hand like he's planning on skipping it across the water. All around are jagged, broken hunks of concrete, shards of the dam broken off and fallen to earth. Now they stick out of the ground like splintered arrow shafts, left in the body to keep it from bleeding out. And maybe, he thinks, if they somehow dislodged them, more water would bubble up through the skin of the earth and flood this whole valley. And then there would be too much to fight over. He jams a star back into his pocket. The only thing he knows for sure is that he's sick and tired of being tired. There's a tug on his trousers, and when he looks down, there's a kid there with a note in his hand. They make their way across the broken concrete until they're far enough away to talk. He takes the note. It's from Cass. She's called an emergency town hall. Something he should have done if he'd thought of it. It's amazing, don't you think? The kid stares at the waterfall at the point where it appears out of the mist. It sure is. Have you heard the story of the bullet catcher who gave us the water? The one that could stop a bullet with a flick of the wrist, could bring down a whole posse of gunslingers with a snap of the fingers. Some say that the water appeared just because the bullet catcher wished it to. Max smiles. I've heard some pretty tall tales about Lobo, too. The kid looks at Nack quizzically. No, mister... I'm talking about Immaculata, the bullet catcher. The room is dim. Slants of light glimmer in the cigarette smoke hanging over the men and women sitting jammed together at the card tables. More stand outside, peeking the brims of their hats through the open door and windows. The tables are dotted with tumblers of snakebite and whiskey. Tall glasses of water, perspiring in the heat. The fleeting words of an argument colored the space black and blue and orange. It's been nearly a year. 
says a man at the end of the tables. A year next month, another adds. Knack plays with the star, spinning it on the table before him. A small pale man pushes through the crowd. We don't need her, Sheriff. We've done fine on our own till now, he says. It takes a moment for Knack to place him. Clarence, he thinks his name is. A former gunslinger, but not one of the old ones. He knows from Cass that he's a bit of a cuss for how he treats the ladies down at the saloon. Can't y'all see she ain't never coming back? And even if she did, what can one person do? Beyond what she can do, we have to think about what it would mean for her to come back. Nico speaks up. Nico's right. Next, thinking of the kid by the waterfall, how he spoke of Emma. He knows those fables weren't the kid's own. They're his parents, from the stories they tell him before bed so he'll sleep easier. Bringing Emma back is our best chance of putting up enough of a fight that the gunslingers won't want to meddle with us anymore. The man at the end of the table slumps back in his chair and folds his arms over his chest. Fine, Sheriff. But even if that's true, how do you expect to find her? The Southland is an awful big place. She could be anywhere. Silence falls over the room. I know where she is. All eyes turn to Cass, sitting on a stool in the corner of the room, away from everyone else, her back resting against the wall, a cigarette stuck to her bottom lip. Where is she? The man asks. Not far. Will you bring her back? Knack asks. Cass tips up her cap and fixes Knack with a hard stare. I wouldn't have brought it up if it wasn't what I aimed to do, Sheriff. Cass loads the last of her supplies into her horse's saddlebags and pulls on the tether binding her bedroll to the animal's back, checking if it's tight. Knack watches all this from the shade of the general store's awning, the letter he'd written to Emma that morning burning a hole in his pocket. All set, Sheriff, Cass says, crossing into the shade. You don't have one damn clue where she is, says Knack. Cass looks side to side, checking if anyone else is within earshot. She spits. Glad you at least have enough sense not to say so at the quorum. Knack looks at his boots, before meeting Cass's eyes. Do you really expect to find her out there? You should know better than anyone. A person like Emma, she's got a way of standing out, even when she don't want to. Cass climbs into the saddle. Knack crosses into the sunlight and produces the letter, sealed with wax. When you find her, and I believe you will, will you give this to her? Anything you wrote in that letter, you can say to her face when I bring her back. Knack jams a letter back in his pocket. You've had a beef against me ever since Emma left, and I can't think of one goddamn reason why. Cass leans over her horse. Because I know it's your fault she left. You want to do something good? Why don't you take that star out of your pocket and pin it to your goddamn chest and keep this town safe till we get back? Then she sits up in the saddle and kicks the horse. She rides south, out of town, into the wide bowl of the desert. Max stands in the street, the dust whirling around him. He crumples the letter and throws it on the ground before taking the star from his pocket and pinning it to his chest. Cass holds her head close to the neck of her horse, low in the saddle, riding fast. 
It's a day to the nearest town, but she reckons she can make it in half that if she pushes. She rides along the river for a time, but when it snakes away, following a cut in the earth to the east, she parts from it, heading south, deeper into the heat of the Southland. She barely sees the series of dark shapes from the corner of her eye. When she looks, there's nothing there, just a cloud of dust quickly settling back to the desert floor. Ahead, the hard-packed, dusty ground rises into slaloms of sandy dunes. She pulls her horse through the snaking path, weaving in and out, watching the crests above her for any sign of her pursuers. At first, she sees nothing, but then the top of a hat. A horse's rearing muzzle. Just flashes and then gone. She thought she might be able to outride them by cutting through the dunes, but now she realizes the fatal error in that plan. She's given up the high ground. A vision of the townsfolk finding her body, bleaching under the sun, mere miles outside Watertown, fills her with a feeling almost like fear and she presses her spurs into the horse's side, willing it to go faster. Before her, the dunes open up into a flat plain, interrupted only by a small oasis in the middle distance, the languid trees close enough to make out against the scorched horizon. Her horse shoots from between the dunes onto the dusky flatness, dust and sand like smoke behind her. She's maybe halfway to the oasis when the gunslingers crest the last dune and open fire. Bullets hit like lightning strikes on either side of her. She dares a glance over her shoulder at her shooters on the ridge. Only dark cracks against the blinding blue sky. And she thinks she's nearly out of range when, suddenly, the horse gives beneath her. It tumbles headfirst to the ground, throwing Cass over its neck. She lands with a thud, ten or so feet away. She coughs and wheezes, trying to catch her breath. She tries to lift herself off the ground and her right arm has no strength. She muffles a whimper as she realizes her shoulder is dislocated. For now, the shooting has stopped. She dares another glance and watches as gunslingers ride down the steep side of the dune and onto the flat plain, coming to finish her off. Before her, her horse's blank, unflinching eyes stare into her. Three clean red circles in its neck and belly. She crawls toward the horse, and that's when the shooting starts again. The whistling of bullets fills the air like a chorus. Small spires of dust kick up all around her, getting nearer as the gunslingers close in. She's not going to make it. Her face is pressed against the earth. She closes her eyes and takes three quick breaths, and then leaps to her feet. The riders are still some distance away, blurry against the bright blue sky. She squints, but it hardly helps, and when she sees the bullets, it's almost too late. They whiz toward her and she bats them away as best she can, her bad arm hanging loose from her body. The first bullet bites her in the thigh, dropping her to a knee. She swats away the next volley, each one leaving a crease of blood along her scarred palm. She spins aside just in time as a bullet slashes across her forehead. The wound opens and blood pours down her face, getting in her good eye. She hits the ground, desperately wiping the blood away with the sleeve of her shirt, but it keeps coming and she's not even sure how bad it is. Maybe she didn't dodge it at all. Maybe the bullet is, at that moment, lodged somewhere in her brain and these are only her last frantic moments before everything goes black. The horses are close enough that she can feel the ground rumbling beneath her. She drags herself the last few feet to her horse and rests her head against its belly. She dares a peek over the dead horse. The gunslingers are less than a hundred yards away, but now she sees another rider galloping fast on an intercept course toward them. 
Five loud booms echo over the sound of hooves, and one after another, the gunslingers fall from their horses until only one remains. The horse slows as it nears Cass. The gunslinger stares down at her, a look of surprise cast onto his frozen mouth and eyes. And then he pitches forward in the saddle and slumps to the ground, his boot still caught in the stirrup. When Cass examines him closer, she finds a bullet wound in his chest. The last rider trots slowly toward her, the butt of a rifle balanced against his thigh. He pulls the horse alongside Cass and lifts the brim of his cap with the end of the rifle. It's Nico, smiling down at her with an air of self-satisfaction. Honestly, I didn't think you'd be in this much trouble this quickly. Cass can't help but smile at the little bit of Emma she sees in her brother. I'll let you have that one. What the hell are you doing following me? I thought you could do what the help is all. You're not as young as you used to be. Cass clutches her shoulder and thinks about how true that statement is. Nico dismounts and rummages through his saddlebag until he finds his first aid gear. Most of Cass's wounds aren't too bad, and they sew them up in no time. The arm is a different story. This is going to hurt like hell, Nico says. Just do it already, she says, biting down on a strip of leather. He yanks her arm back into place. There's a pop, the feeling like her shoulder blade cracks in half, but when it's all said and done, she can move her arm again. By the time they set off, the sun is crawling down the western sky. Pain shoots through Cass's shoulder with every bump, but she pushes through it, spurring the dead gunslinger's horse on through the desert. With luck, they still might make it to the next town by morning. New Greenville. The wind-battered sign proclaims the name of the town, hopefully. But truth is, there's nothing much green about it. The cracked earth runs the length of the town's single street. Paint has been seared off the sides of the buildings by sun and sand. An old-timer with a long white beard interrupted by an angry-looking scar on his left cheek sits rocking in his chair outside the saloon. They've been riding through the night. Now, from inside the saloon, comes the quiet sounds of glasses clinking and cards being shuffled in the heat of early morning. Cass and Nico tie their horses to the hitching post. As they head inside, Nico nods to the old-timer, who eyes them from under his sweat-stained hat. The man spits a gob of tobacco and wipes his chin with his sleeve. Inside, the sunlight diffuses through the tattered blinds, orange and yellow. Everything looks tobacco-stained, dry, ancient. To one side, a table of card players hunch over their hands. An upright piano stands crooked on broken feet. The bartender, a skinny, unshaven man with a dirty smock, leans on his elbows over the bar, speaking quietly to a couple of drinkers. There's a second floor, but the stairs leading up to it are broken. No one's likely lived up there in some time. The bartender lifts his head as they enter through the batwing doors, watching them as they cross the sawdust-littered floor. What'll it be, strangers? He says as they take their seats. Nico puts the rifle on the bar and takes off his riding gloves, making sure the bartender sees his gunslinger tattoo. We're looking for someone. The bartender eyes Nico's tattoo and mutters, There ain't nobody around these parts worth finding, mister. She might have passed through, Cass says. The bartender nods. People do do that from time to time. A young woman. 
She has nine fingers, scars, brown hair, brown eyes. Goes by Emma, Cass says. The bartender scratches his stubble. Might help my memory some if you bought something. Nico squeezes the stock of his rifle. Cass puts her hand on his shoulder. She pulls out a couple of coins and slaps them on the bar. What do you have, then? Don't matter. Then I'll just as rather not pour anything, the bartender says, pocketing the coins. The girl, Nico says through gritted teeth. The girl, yes. When did you say she might have passed through? Maybe a year and a half ago. Long time, he says doubtfully. That's about when folks around here were packing up to make a go at Watertown. Lots of people passing through back then. But there was a girl. I remember her because everyone else was driving north and she was going south. Didn't say where to, though. Did she have any acquaintances in town we might talk to? She was only here a few days and mostly just sat where you're sitting now, not saying much about anything. Then she moved on. Cass tips her hat and the bartender happily retreats to the other end of the bar. Nico pulls out a map and spreads it out before them. If she was heading south, there's two places she could have ended up. Saddleback Ridge or Gravesend. If she's holed up in one and we head the wrong way, we could lose weeks. Might not be a water town to return to if that happens. And there's another thing. What's that? You can rest assured that when the gunslingers who came after you don't report back, they'll be sending another posse. Whatever we do, we gotta do it fast. Nico folds up the map. Then we head to Gravesend. What makes you so sure she's there? He shrugs. Gravesend sounds more depressing than Saddleback Ridge. It's where I'd have gone, so I reckon that's where she'd have gone too. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey, 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Knack carries a stack of two-by-fours down Main Street, dropping off a few in front of each business and cabin along the stretch. The air is filled with the sounds of hammering, the townsfolk buttoning up their doors and windows. That morning, there was a letter from the gunslingers nailed to Nack's front door. It feels heavy in his pocket, like it's weighing him down. He meets Rainer in front of his and Nico's tinker shop. Dropping the lumber on the boardwalk, he wipes sweat from his brow. Rainer hands him a tin cup of water before going back to hammering up the window. You look ready to see the undertaker, sheriff, Rainer says through the nails pinched in his mouth. Nack gives him the stink eye and passes the cup back to him. Sorry, Knack. Rid of the gallows tends to cheer me. The gallows are all I've been thinking about lately. He takes out the letter and shows it to Rainer. Nightfall, Rainer reads aloud. Signed, Raziel. You know the name? A bit, from my time with the gunslingers. And? She has a reputation. During the war, it was standard that if a gunslinger killed a bullet catcher, they'd get a tattoo of a hand on their arm. Her troop? They'd cut off the bullet catcher's hands and string them together like bandoliers. Sometimes they wouldn't even bother killing them. She'd just take their hands. Can't catch a bullet without hands. Knack leans his head back and stares at the underside of the eave. I wish I hadn't asked. Farther down the street, some of the townspeople wave in Nack's direction, waiting for more lumber. He gathers up the two-by-fours, but Rainer stops him. I think you might take another moment, Sheriff. You're white as a sheet. Nack sighs. How long have Cass and Nico been gone? A day and a night. I don't know how we'll last till they get back. Rainer looks over his shoulder, checking if anyone else is within earshot. When he sees the coast is clear, he turns and locks eyes with Knack. Listen, Knack, it's fine if you talk like this between you and me, but damn it, as long as you got that star pinned to your chest, you have to act like a leader in front of the rest of them. When it comes to business like this, a little cowardice can kill a lot of people. Aynor pokes the badge pinned to Knack's chest. Nico's gone, Cass is gone, Emma's gone. Right now, you're all the hope this town has. If they think you're folding, they just might up and fold too. They can't be up to me. Hell, you are a gunslinger, same as Nico. Rainer stands and stretches his back. Not quite like Nico. Never ran across anyone else like that man. 
They'll be back. I'm sure of it. What makes you so sure? I just know. I hope you're right. Rainer gives him a trying smile. Me too. That night, Knack and Rainer stand guard in front of the sheriff's office. The sky is black. Lanterns, strung along the eaves of the facades, light a path down Main Street. What time is it? Knack asks. Late. Maybe they aren't. The sound of hooves clopping toward them through the mist stops him dead. They peer through the dim lantern light toward the end of the street where, a moment later, the shadow of a horse and its rider appears. The figure balances a long rifle over her shoulder, the end high in the air like the blade of a reaper's scythe. The rider pulls up halfway down Main Street. Steam billows from the horse's nostrils. If it weren't for that, it would have been easy to mistake the figure for a ghost. The rider sits astride the horse, completely still, waiting. Shit. Nax says under his breath and steps out into the street. Rainer draws his gun and holds it on the rider. The night holds its breath. Behind the shuttered windows of the houses along the street, Nax senses the townsfolk looking out at the rider. But there is no sound except for Nax's boots along the hard-packed dirt avenue, mixed with the horse's rhythmic breathing. He is less than ten paces away when the rider calls out. Far enough, lawman. Her voice is a dry growl. Tobacco, age, and anger. You, Raziel? As if in response, she heaves the long rifle off her shoulder and cradles it across her lap. Because you haven't seemed to understand our previous orders, I'm here to give you one last warning. Y'all are to leave this town or face the consequences. And what might those be? I'm sure you can figure it. I'd rather not. You not wanting to won't stop it from happening. Let's say we pack up and leave. Then what? We burn the buildings. Either way, this place will be erased. We'll never come back. Nax scans the street, looks back at Rainer. The end of his pistol flashes in the lamplight. He clears his throat and says, No deal, gunslinger. I reckon we'll be staying right here. That's your decision. And then she kicks her horse, turns, and begins to trot away. We know about the riders you sent to find Immaculata. They won't make it. She says it so softly, Nack isn't sure he heard it or just imagined it. And then the horse and rider disappear into the mist. Nack goes on standing in the street until he can't hear the horse anymore. He looks up to where the ridge would be, way up through the dark and the mist. And for every pair of eyes he senses from within the homes all around him, he senses ten more looking down on him from the cliff edge. Hundreds of eyes and pistols and rifles looking down on him, biding their time, waiting. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 3 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton, performed by Inez del Castillo, audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith, additional editing by Corey Barton, original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch, cover art by Christine Barcelona. Christine Barcelona.